Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.53 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 14th of January, 2022. This is episode 526 of Bitcoin. And I've got a word from a professor at a university or possibly a college. I'm not sure. I think it's Ferris, and I don't know if it's big enough to be a university. Uh, My wife sent me this uh, video clip last night, and it's, oh, my God. I, I honestly don't know whether or not to praise this guy or to laugh uncontrollably at his idiocy. It's walking a very fine line on this one, but uh, let's, let's listen to the good professor who, by the way, is now because of this video and I think one other on administrative leave from his college or university at the age of 74 or 75. That's right. He is like well past his 65-year-old uh, retirement target. And uh, he talks a little bit about that in this video. But it's just too goddamn funny not to let you listen to it. So here we go. Uh, I want to introduce myself before we actually meet uh, uh, F2F, who, uh, as we say these days, uh, which everybody knows means fuck to fuck. Uh, which really means that we're all fucked. When when you see me next week, I'll be wearing this helmet. This is a uh, this helmet is uh, is actually three hundred bucks. It's uh, got HEPA filters all around it, um, so that uh, all the air that comes in that I'm breathing comes in through the HEPA filters, uh, and all the air that I breathe out goes out through the HEPA filters, so that it protects both me and you from uh, this deadly virus that's going around. Um, Now, uh, I may have fucked up my life, flatter than hammered shit, but I stand before you today beholden to no human cocksucker and work in a paying fucking union job and no limber dick cocksucker of an administrator is gonna tell me how to teach my classes because I'm a fucking tenured professor. So if you want to go complain to your dean, fuck you, go ahead. I'm retiring at the end of this year and I couldn't give a flying fuck any longer. You people are just vectors of disease to me and I don't want to be anywhere near you. So keep your fucking distance. If you want to talk to me, come to my Zoom. None of you cocksuckers are good enough to earn an A in my class. So I randomly assign grades before the first day of class. I I don't want to know shit about you. I don't even want to know your name. I just look at the number and I assign a grade. That is how predestination works. Listen up, folks. I'm old enough to be your grandpa. And you people are vectors of disease to me. So 
when I look out at a classroom filled with 50 students, I see 50 selfish kids who don't give a shit whether grandpa lives or dies. And if you won't expose your grandpa to a possible infection with COVID, then stay the fuck away from me. If you don't give a shit about whether grandpa lives or dies, by all means, come to class. Now, granted, I, I did chop this up a little bit. These are the uh, places in the video that where he just goes off the rails. And honestly, again, I come back to my original uh, question as to whether or not I should be ashamed that this human being, if that's what it can be called, walks the streets, or if I should be relatively enamored with this gentleman because he just literally does not give one, you know, one or two shits about anything anymore. Uh, what do you think? I mean, <clears throat> I, I, I guess I should say that I'm kind of not, I don't want to say confused, but I, I ride between these, these two tenets of thought as to whether or not this guy is completely batshit insane, a crybaby, or has a relative amount of strength. I don't know, but it seems to me that what we have here, and this is a recent video, ladies and gentlemen, this isn't from you know, when this, remember when they were talking about killing grandpa, grandma and grandpa. Yeah. That was like last year. That was actually like coming up on two years ago where we were talking about killing grandma and grandpa and he's still stuck in it. He has a helmet and the helmet that he's talking about at the very beginning of this particular piece is looks like a space helmet. It's a complete enclosure. He shoves it over his head and it's like, uh, uh, it's like a spacesuit helmet and it's just, this is where we're at. And, and I think what's going on is what we're seeing is that individuals, at least in the United States, and I pretty much assume all over the world at this point have reached their limits of what they deem to be acceptable behavior, given the fact that everything is so crazy that they can just do whatever they want, say whatever they want. This is a college professor. This is his, the video that he released for his students to watch one week before classes started. This was the orientation video for his class. And the thing is 14 minutes long. And I wasn't going to make you sit through all of it, which is why I chopped up and put in like what I think are the best bits, but there's way more. I mean, he goes off on capitalism. He talks about the denigration of the Native Americans. He talks about how the United States exported cigarettes to the rest of the world to make them sick. And there's points that he makes that, that may actually be relevant and truthful. But honestly, this kind of behavior, when you're talking to somebody who's paying money to go to college, whether, whether or not they've got student loans, or they're working, you know, 12 jobs to be able to afford the tuition. Does not matter at this point. The point is, is that you are paying money, no matter how you got it, to go to class, to sit and listen to a professor call you a vector of disease. This is where we're at, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the United States of America and academia at large, which is why one of the reasons why academia is dying and it is dying, by the way. The entire academy is on the ropes, is being pummeled, and honestly, who's doing the most damage to academia? Academia themselves. I just, it's the most amazing 
thing to watch. I used to really, really enjoy being part of the academy, whether I was a student, you know, when I was in a master's degree, if I was working for, you know, laboratories, I was helping to publish papers out of, you know, physiology, all these kinds of things. I was, I was, I literally enjoyed it very much so. And watching what has happened, especially what, you know, the things that happened to my wife while she was on her tenure track, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. You thought the church destroying themselves, the Catholic church destroying themselves was a thing to behold. Man, you ain't seen nothing yet. So let's get into the news. Credit rating agency Moody's sounds the alarm on El Salvador's Bitcoin policy. By noted BTC hater Scott Cipollina, this comes out of Decrypt.co, so watch it. El Salvador's poor sovereign credit outlook is being exacerbated by the country's Bitcoin trades, according to Moody's Investor Services, per Bloomberg. According to Moody's analyst Jamie Rausch, The government trading in Bitcoin is quite risky, particularly for a government that has been struggling with liquidity pressures in the past, end quote. President Bukele, who buys Bitcoin for the country with public money using his phone, has not shared key information pertinent to the country's Bitcoin holdings. But according to his own tweets, he has bought at least 1,391 Bitcoin to date. Those purchases, according to Bloomberg calculations earlier this week, have lost El Salvador money. The country's total Bitcoin holdings reportedly cost approximately $71 million at an average price of $51,056 per Bitcoin. By Wednesday, these holdings were roughly $59 million. Oh, the horror. Of course, these losses exist on paper if Bukele hasn't sold any of the country's Bitcoin. Yeah, I doubt it. El Salvador faces an $800 million bond that matures in January of 2023. At the time of writing, El Salvador's $800 million bond also has a yield of over 35%, suggesting that financial markets have very little faith that the Salvadoran government will ever be able to pay back this debt. This places El Salvador in a difficult position when it comes to accessing traditional debt markets in the foreign bond market, quote, I don't know who is going to buy these bonds, but it sure as heck isn't going to be us, Kevin Daly, a fund manager at Aberdeen Standard Investments, told the Financial Times in November 2021. Rausch suggests El Salvador's total Bitcoin holdings, for now, do not currently pose a major threat to the government's financial obligations. However, if Bukele purchases more Bitcoin, that risk will increase, quote, if it gets much higher, then the re- that represents an even greater risk to repayment capacity and the fiscal profile of the issuer, Roush said. <clears throat> In July, Moody's also downgraded El Salvador to a CAA credit rating. Obligations rated CAA are judged to be of poor standing and are subject to very high credit risk. Last week, El Salvador announced the government would send about 20 bills to Congress to kickstart the Bitcoin bond regime. According to the Minister of Finance, Alejandro Zelaya, these bonds would provide legal structure and legal certainty to everyone who buys the Bitcoin bond. 
The government hopes that $1 billion in Bitcoin-backed bonds to be issued in 2022 will be partly converted to Bitcoin and partially used to finance the country's Bitcoin mining operations, i.e. the Bitcoin city, I guess. We, that's the end of the article. It seemed, there, we seem to have still have some confusion as to whether half of this bond is going to pay for nothing but Bitcoin mining or if half of the bond is going to uh, provide funds to build a Bitcoin city in which there will be Bitcoin mining. I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it's the latter, but uh, again, in the media, there still seems to be a fair amount of confusion as to which way that's going to go. So Moody's downgrades, um, or sounding, rather sounding the alarm on um, El Salvador and their Bitcoin bonds, as well as their Bitcoin holdings. What do you think about that? Here's what I think about that. Moody's was part of the people that were paid money to give triple A ratings to the shittiest financial instruments ever known to man. We're talking about all that real estate shit. Prior to 2008, people were packaging up shitty mortgages into massive packages, selling them as investment instruments and getting Moody's by paying them money, i.e. a bribe, to give them a higher than normal rating on the junk that was inside of those investment instruments. And it caused an entire global economic meltdown. Do you trust Moody's to say shit about anything ever again? I don't, and I don't trust any of the other rating agencies either because they were all in on it. All of them were taking money to give AAA ratings to investment instruments that should never have existed in the first place. So, Scott, I know you hate Bitcoin. I'm talking to Scott Cipollina right now. I know you hate Bitcoin and you think it's going to destroy the world and boil the oceans. Have fun staying poor, you son of a bitch. Now, <clears throat> Andrew Askimov has this one from Decrypt as well. Astronomically lucky, tiny crypto miners, plural, Defy odds to win Bitcoin jackpot. Now, yesterday I talked about the one miner, or it may have been the day before yesterday. I talked about the one miner that uh, so in a solo fashion was able to win a block. And apparently, a couple of days later, another one did the same thing. Let's find out more. Two individual Bitcoin miners with modest hash rate hit a jackpot of 6.25 BTC each, around 275,000 at current prices after successfully adding new blocks to the Bitcoin network, all in the span of two days. Both lucky miners had their compute power connected to SoloCK, a mining pool offering anonymous solo Bitcoin mining. Dr. Khan Kalivas, a software engineer who created the Bitcoin mining software CG Miner and also operates SoloCK, took to Twitter to share the news of the first miner to mine block 718,124 on Tuesday with a mere 126 terahashes per second. Uh, the good doctor says, congratulations to a Bitcoin miner with only 126 terahashes who solved a block. Okay. When asked, what are the chances of adding a valid block to the Bitcoin network with such a low hash rate, Dr. Kolovas said it depends on how long they've been mining. To his estimates, there's a 1 in 10,000 chance of finding a block per day with that hash rate or one block on average every 27 years. 120 
terahashes per second equals 0.00012 exahashes or about 0.000068% of the Bitcoin's network total compute power, which currently stands at 160 or what, sorry, 176.4 exahashes per second. What's even more remarkable is that this event happened twice in just three days. On Thursday, another worker from Solo CK was able to solve block number 718,379 with a capacity of only 116 terahashes per second, which is even less than that of the first miner. According to Dr. Kolovas, the second miner joined Solo CK just two days ago, presumably in response to the other lucky block uh, solver. So they've been astronomically lucky in solving a block solo in that time. He added that as far as the second lucky worker was concerned, the chances of finding a new block at the pool by that time were about one in 6,000 since the time they had started mining. Bitcoin mining is the process of, yes, we know what the process of Bitcoin mining is, so I won't hash that part out. In the early days of Bitcoin, when the mining difficulty, a measure of how hard it was to mine new coins, was low, it was possible to mine new coins using simple CPU chips found in home computers. This is exactly what Satoshi Nakamoto did on January the 3rd, 2009, when he mined the first batch of 50 Bitcoin. As mining became more difficult and with the mechanisms of the halving rewards, CPUs became less and less efficient, as did solo mining. And as time went on, CPUs were replaced by more advanced graphic cards, GPUs, which soon became outdated themselves, leaving the lane to application-specific integrated circuits, uh, circuit chips. Yeah, sorry. Today, with both Bitcoin hash rate and mining difficulty at as at historical highs, due to the industrial scale of mining, it's becoming more and more difficult to make money from the venture as an individual miner. Still, recent events prove that it's not impossible, and as Dr. Kolovas put it, quote, if enough solo miners do it for long enough, then statistically, someone is going to find a block. Yeah, well, duh. <laughs> it's just, that's just the way the numbers run. So uh, Solo CK is the mining pool, and I had, had had a question as to how it was that you could be part of a pool and not have to share in the rewards when your machine found a block. Um, so this answers that question. Apparently, it's a pool that you can attach to to do solo mining, and honestly, that makes absolutely no sense to me. Why have a pool? Just connect your rig to the Bitcoin mining network, you have the mining software, you are a miner, why connect to a pool if the pool doesn't share in individual rewards? Because that's what a pool is supposed to do. If you guys have any information on why somebody would build a pool that doesn't actually share in the profits of all the pool, please, please tell me because it's very confusing to me. Now on to Brazil. Brazilian mayor to reportedly invest 1% of city reserves into Bitcoin. Helen Parts has it for Cointelegraph. Eduardo Pays, or Pais, mayor of Brazilian city Rio de Janeiro, wants to allocate 1% of the city's treasury into Bitcoin, Cointelegraph Brazil reported. Pays reportedly announced plans for Crypto Rio, or turning the city into a cryptocurrency hub, during Rio Innovation Week on Thursday, according to a report by local news agencies O Globo. 
The mayor spoke about Rio's cryptocurrency-related ambitions in a panel with Mayor, sorry, Miami Mayor and Bitcoin bull Francis Suarez, who started accepting his paychecks in BTC back in November of 2021. Quote, we are going to launch Crypto Rio, invest 1% of the treasury in cryptocurrency. The government has a role to play, Pay has reportedly said, adding that the state is also planning to introduce tax exemptions for the industry. The panel also included major Brazilian officials like City Finance Secretary Pedro Paulo, who noted that the administration is considering a 10% uh, sorry 10% discount on property tax in Brazil on payments with Bitcoin. Quote, let's study the legal framework to do this, he said. The news comes amid the Brazilian government increasingly warming its stance on Bitcoin and the cryptocurrency industry with federal deputy Liazo Goulart proposing a bill to legalize crypto as payment, uh, or rather as a payment method for public and private sector workers in November. In December, Mercado Pago, a major crypto payment firm in Brazil, enabled Brazilian's residents, Brazilian residents to buy, sell, and hold major cryptocurrencies like BTC and shitcoin number one. So there you go. But Brazil looks like it's about to uh, step onto the world stage through the machinations of the mayor of Rio, which is, as far as I know, uh, Brazil's largest city. And it's a huge city. It's not small, in case you didn't know that. So, Jack Mallers. Um, yeah, okay. <clears throat> uh, I was talking to uh, Greg Zaj uh, through Telegram, and he had uh, he kind of pushed back a little bit on my stance on what Jack Mallers is doing. Um, he informed me, and I was kind of unaware of this, so thank you, Greg, for setting me straight, that what Jack Mallers is doing now with Tether on uh, Ethereum rails is exactly what they did with El Salvador, and then they jettisoned USDT after everything was rolling. I still have a problem with the use of Ethereum. Why? Well, because. Because of the 70% pre-mine of Ethereum, Every time you give Ethereum any kind of use case, especially when it's socked full of bullshit as it is, and gas fees are at like astronomical highs, and it's just a slog on that particular blockchain, plus the fact that it's not secure, plus the fact that it's centralized, plus the fact that it's on AWS, and all the rest of the bullshit that you can pull out of what's going on with Ethereum right now, Anytime somebody uses the Ethereum blockchain for something that, especially like this, that's on the world stage, it gives Vitalik Buterin, Joseph Lubin, and that shithead that started Cardano, because before he started Cardano, he was one of the founders of Ethereum, which he doesn't even like to talk about anymore. I can't imagine why. Anyway, I'm just saying, you give them credence. You give them a stage. You, you, you you help Ethereum scam more people and, and you make Joseph Luzon, Vitalik Buterin and the idiot from Cardano even richer because they got to partake in a 70% pre-mine. That's why I have a problem with Jack Mallers using Ethereum. You should have used Tron. If you're going to use a shit chain, at least use something that is going to help attack the, the Ethereum main chain. 
you know, help, help the knife fight that is going on between all the Ethereum clones, help it along. Let's, you know, like, let's, let's help give the, you know, give the smaller guys a bigger knife. You know, if you're going to do it, God forbid, don't do it on Ethereum. Anyway, Jeremy Garcia has more about what's going on with Strike in Bitcoin Magazine. How Jack Maller's Strike displays the agility of Bitcoin. Uh, I first heard Jack Maller's in January 2020 when I heard what he was doing with Strike and I immediately posted the message below on Facebook. Message reads, Jack Maller's will be to global payments what Elon Musk will be to the global internet. This kid is amazing. Keep him on your radar because you will more than likely be using his network for payments. The beauty of his network is that it is built on top of the Bitcoin network. And end message. I proceeded to watch everything I could find on him and his company. Jack Mallers is a very intelligent 27-year-old with a hoodie who operates out of a woman's clothing closet wearing Crocs, and he's proud of it. How do I know this? Because he has said so live on CNBC. Bitcoiners love his down-to-earth demeanor and his deep love, enthusiasm, and devotion to Bitcoin. His contributions to the Bitcoin movement will forever echo in Bitcoin lore. The Lightning Network startup company Zap was founded by Jack Mallers in 2019, which incorporates Mallers' mobile payment app Strike. Strike is a mobile payment app like Cash App, except for the fact that Strike App operates on the Lightning Network. Legacy mobile payment app like Cash App operate in their own closed network. Strike operates in an open payment network, Lightning. I will go into the importance of open payment networks later on in the article. Now, <clears throat> a very important note about why Strike can send payments so seamlessly using Bitcoin is because Bitcoin is a bearer asset that has liquidity 24-7. In essence, Strike is debiting and crediting Strike accounts using Bitcoin as the transaction vehicle over the Lightning network. I could end the article right here, but read on for more detailed explanations of Strike. So here is Jack Maller's explanation of how Strike works on one of the latest Saifedean Amos or Amos podcasts. And I won't play it here because it's going to be a long one. And you can go to uh, Saifedean's podcast and find it for yourself. So there are three legs in how Strike sends money over the Lightning Network. One. <clears throat> U.S. dollars are debited from your strike account and there is a Bitcoin to USD conversion where Bitcoin is purchased using U.S. dollars. Two, a Bitcoin to Bitcoin payment is then made using the Lightning Network to escrow and achieve cash finality of a bearer instrument. A Bitcoin to Euro conversion then takes place where a strike is selling Bitcoin for Euros. Jack smilingly states that there is no dollar to Euro rate that strike is using. Strike is actually just using Bitcoin dollar and Bitcoin euro to accomplish the United States dollar to euro conversion. Simply put, US dollars or fiat currencies magically turn into Bitcoin and Bitcoin magically turns into any fiat currency you want on the other end. As science fiction writer Arthur C. Clarke says, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. My lay down, or sorry, my down on the farm explanation of Strike to a normie would be Strike magically sends money over the Lightning Network using a magical Bitcoin vehicle. Ooh, I don't like that. Not at all. Strike leverages the Lightning Network, which solves the two payment problems of the first layer, Bitcoin. One, the Lightning Network solves the variable time problem of Bitcoin. Two, the Lightning Network solves the variable cost problem of Bitcoin. 
Maller's version or vision on how strike would work relative to the two payment problems came from epiphanies he had while on vacations in Paris. He realized that these two variables are the same two variables that Visa fixes. His second epiphany was being able to use Bitcoin as a vehicle for transporting value across the world. Maller's epiphanies necessitated him having a digitally native bearer asset that lived outside of the control of any central party, company, or government. Bitcoin meets these first principle monetary design requirements. Strike is doing what Google, Amazon, and Facebook did on the open network we know as the internet, aka Transmission Control Protocol Internet Protocol, or TCIP. The internet is an open communication network upon which the best companies with the best user experience compete against any rivals. Open networks allow for true free market competition, and Strike plugged into the open monetary network, Bitcoin, via Bitcoin's open Layer 2 network, the Lightning Network, to send money across the world for near free. For free, you ask? Yes, for free, or near free. Uh, so, how does Strike make money uh, without charging fees? Strike does not have to charge any fees, partly because Mallers does not charge his counterparties for transactions, and this is possible because of the millions of dollars that his company transacts in. So, how does Strike make money? Like all great businessmen, Mallers can't disclose his secret sauce. But one way that his company makes money is through his Strike debit card partnership with Visa, where he collects all of the interchange money. His company also charges merchant fees as a source of revenue. By cutting his fees to zero, Mallers essentially forces any competitors to start at zero as well. It is now up to any competitor to try to out-compete Strike and its great user experience. We are about to have a modern-day competition like we had on the open communications network of the internet between MySpace and Facebook. Some of his many MySpace-like competitors are Western Union, Visa, and MasterCard. These competitors use their own closed network <clears throat> and payment rails, which are not as efficient as the open payment network Lightning. Strike can operate with very minimal overhead costs because of its leveraging of the open Lightning network. Visa, MasterCard, and Western Union operate with huge overhead costs, and there is little to no room for cutting their costs because they would not earn any money at all. Strike's use of the Lightning Network allows his company to be interoperable with any other company that decides to use the Lightning Network. This is such a powerful concept because the company becomes better any time that a new company plugs their company into the Lightning Network. This is because the services offered by other Lightning Network-based companies can integrate with Strike's service without having to sign any agent agreements or perform due diligence on these companies that interoperably work with Strike. The Lightning Network is reminiscent of the Linux operating system, which was also an open source system. Prior to Linux, Microsoft had a monopoly on their closed source operating system and people who wanted to use their software were at the mercy of Microsoft and how much they charged for their products and or services. The open source Linux operating system allowed there to be competition with the closed source operating system of Microsoft. Companies that were once limited to only using Microsoft's OS could use the Linux OS as leverage to negotiate the price of Microsoft's products and services down. The open source code of Linux allowed companies that were once beholden to the whims of Microsoft to be able to unplug themselves from the closed operating system and use a cheaper open source Linux based operating system. 
The most important thing that Strike accomplish, accomplishes is instant free payments between parties. Prior to this, people in poor countries like El Salvador had to walk miles to a Western Union to send and receive their local fiat currencies. Along the way, El Salvadorans, hoping to send money, are harassed by gangs who demand 25% cuts for whatever money they have to send. Western Union then gets their approximate 5% or percent or more remittance fees from the El Salvadoran. So if the El Salvadoran started off with $100, they lost 25 bucks to gangs and $5 to Western Union, and now only have $70 to send to their families. The average minimum wage of an El Salvadoran is about $242 per month, so you can see how important it is for minimum wage workers in El Salvador to be able to send $100 in totality through Strike for free. This is why Strike and the Lightning Network is such a huge deal. When I first heard of what Jack Maller's companies was doing, I immediately called a veteran banker friend of mine with over 20 years of experience and told him that Strike was going to take over the banks and payment systems. He proceeded to tell me that the banks were already using Venmo and Zelle or Zelly or whatever for similar purposes. Little did he know that unlike Zelle and Venmo, which could be analogous to Microsoft's closed source system, Strike is integrated into a Linux-like open source operating system, the Lightning Network. I personally believe that Strike will replace many payment networks, and in my opinion, Strike will be to payment networks as Amazon was to retail stores. Grab your popcorn and watch the game theory of Bitcoin continue to play out. As Jack would say, pawn to E4, your move, world payment systems. Let's run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities. We have flammable liquids a bit on fire. West Texas Intermediate up over a point to $83.04 a barrel. Brent North Sea also up over a point to $85.37 per barrel. Natural gas is down by almost two points, $4.19 per thousand cubic feet, and gasoline is up almost a full point, $2.40 per gallon. Uh, shiny metal rocks are fully mixed. Gold up scant to $1,822 an ounce. Silver is down a third. Platinum is up three quarters. Copper is down a full, actually over two points. And palladium is up a quarter of a point. Agricultural futures likewise are mixed, with wheat being the biggest loser, 1.17% to the downside. Soybeans down two-thirds, corn down scant, uh, sugar is up 55%, or not 55%, 0.5%, and cotton is the biggest, actually no, chocolate is the biggest winner, 1.65% to the upside. Dow futures down a half point. S&P futures down 0.15%. NASDAQ futures up a third. And S&P mini is down almost a full half point. Fuck it, real money. $43,108.273,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That's 11,400 transactions on average per hour with 720,000 BTC being sent in that period. That's a right at 30,000 BTC on average per hour. Average transaction value is 2.63 BTC and the median transaction value is holding at 0.04, no, 0.014 BTC or 600 bucks flat. 
Block times are still low, even after an upwards difficulty adjustment. We have eight minutes and 44 seconds on the block clock. Uh, 0.06 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and damn near 10 BTC taken in fees overall in the past 24 hours. And with a 9.36% rise in hash rate, we are now at 206.4 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator, Doge, is getting a boost because apparently Elon has now, that were, well, he said he was going to take Dogecoin for a Tesla merch. Apparently that went live today from what I understand, but I just don't give a shit. 1,969 transactions are waiting on one block to clear. We have an $816.9 billion market cap which is 6.8% of gold's market cap. And with your one Bitcoin, you may buy 23.6 ounces of shiny metal rocks, 18,928,997.75 BTC are in circulation at this time with 3,331 of those being locked up in the Lightning Network at a capacity value of $143.7 million being run over 18,845 nodes that we know about, sporting 83,963 payment channels that we know about, and percentage of tour capacity is at 76.3%. So 2,542.04 BTC of all Lightning Network is now being handled by Tor's 11,780 nodes, or at least the nodes that we know about, and that's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Arkansas will pay you $10,000 in Bitcoin to move there, plus give you a bike. Maybe Namsios will mention the bike part here in this one from Bitcoin Magazine. Northwest Arkansas is providing remote workers with an incentive in the form of $10,000 in Bitcoin and a bike to relocate to the region. Its council said in a Wednesday statement, the effort seeks to attract tech and entrepreneur talent to the state's growing tech talent. Quote, Northwest Arkansas is one of the fastest growing regions in the country, and we're now seeing more explosive growth in our tech sector. Nelson Peacock, president and CEO of the Northwest Arkansas Council, said in a statement, quote, this expanded incentive offer, Bitcoin and a bike, not only embraces the growing trend toward the use of cryptocurrency as a payment option by employers, but also helps increase our pipeline of talent to benefit tech employers, startups, cities, local businesses, and the region overall. Yeah, but what does the bike do? I'm just asking, just saying. The announcement comes as a revamped version of the LifeWorks Here initiative that sought to attract re attract remote workers to Northwest Arkansas with a $10,000 cash relocation bonus. Now the region aims to bring those interested in Bitcoin with the option to receive the incentive in BTC, a push to strengthen Northwest Arkansas's tech ecosystem. The original initiative, launched in November of 2020, has generated over 35,000 applications from people in more than 115 countries and all 50 states that wish to move to Northwest Arkansas and grab the cash bonus and the bike. Those who relocate can now opt for the incentive in Bitcoin or cash and a street or a mountain bike. 
To be eligible for the program, applicants must have the ability to relocate to Northwest Arkansas within six months of acceptance, have full-time remote employment, or be self-employed. Oh, I'm really surprised they're going to allow the whole self-employed thing. That is completely gameable, by the way. I won't say any more about that. Additionally, applicants must currently live outside of Arkansas, be 24 years or older, and be eligible to work and live in the United States. Interested remote workers can apply on the program's webpage, and I'm not going to talk about that here. Anyway, I'm just saying, it looks like everybody's jumping in on this particular bandwagon. Nobody really knows what to do, I think, is is one of the takeaways from this. It's not that I... I you know, poo-pooing on the idea that they offer Bitcoin. It's just that I get the feeling that the people that are behind saying, yeah, well, let's just offer them Bitcoin aren't actually Bitcoiners themselves and probably don't know their ass from a hole in the ground when it comes to what Bitcoin is. I think it's more about marketing than anything else. And is that good for Bitcoin? Of course it's good for Bitcoin. It's also, it also actually bodes well that Bitcoin has become or rather is becoming mainstream as a marketing tool, even though I'm not, I'm not all that excited about marketing. Honestly, I think it's just a bunch of people telling a bunch of other people a handful of lies. Marketing was supposed to be telling a story. You tell your story about your product, your region, your service, why you want to move here, that kind of thing. That's, that's supposed to be what the marketing is. But just pulling Bitcoin out of a closet and saying, I don't know, here, just give them this, is, seems a little lazy to me. You should have more of, why the hell would I want to move to Northwest Arkansas? Is it pretty? Is there hunting? Is there fishing? Is there outdoor stuff to do? Is there, are there good restaurants? Is there a good nightlife? I mean, fuck, tell me something about Northwest Arkansas. Just don't give me Bitcoin and expect me to move there sight unseen. I mean, my God, people, just get it together, honestly. Bitcoin Rewards, the platform, Satsback V2, has now launched. Bitcoin Magazine's Nomsios has it. Bitcoin Rewards platform, Satsback, has relaunched in a new version, bringing a new brand to market with 10,000 online stores connected to offer cash back in BTC that is paid through Lightning, as well as a browser extension to facilitate customer shopping experience. Quote, there are thousands of online stores available to users globally, but most participating merchants target specific European markets focusing on the Netherlands, Germany, Poland, the UK, France, and Belgium, the company said in a statement sent to Bitcoin Magazine. Quote, in addition, thanks to the Lightning Network, users can withdraw their rewards with no minimum amounts and participate in the rapidly growing Lightning economy. The idea for the service arose from the dissatisfaction of EU-based Bitcoiners who saw major developments in the ecosystem being born in the U.S. The team behind Satsback said it set out to change all that through the cashback service in an attempt to bring the now popular rewards-based business model to the European market. Satsback.com seeks to embark or yeah, embark new users onto the Bitcoin and Lightning networks by giving them first Satoshis, a friendlier user experience for beginners than making an initial purchase of Bitcoin. <clears throat> the goal is to lower the barrier of entry to the Bitcoin ecosystem and help anyone understand Bitcoin by experiencing it, Satsback said. Quote, everyone's Bitcoin journey is unique. 
but most begin with the same first step of buying or receiving a small amount of it, Satsback founder and CEO Tom Chachnyachki no way I could pronounce that, said in a blog post, quote, only by experiencing it can we begin to appreciate and understand it. The problem is that it's hard to convince someone to buy something that they don't understand. Receiving it as a reward or gift solves this onboarding problem, end quote. Satsback said its platform is now connected to major brands of the likes of Booking and Nike totaling over 10,000 stores after its last year, joined forces with the Stecking team to build the leading Bitcoin rewards platform in Europe, Chachajanaski said, or however you pronounce it. So only in Europe, right, you know, right now, maybe Sats back will, you know, start drifting out across the globe, but it's good to see yet one more service that offers sats back like Fold and a few other ones do. Lolly, uh, I don't wanna uh, mess up and not mention Lolly. L-O-L-L-I, as well as the Fold app and Fold card are at your disposal to be able to get sats back on purchases that you, you're normally gonna make anyway, so you might as well use them. God knows I do. Now, Jack Dorsey, uh, his company Block is building a Bitcoin mining system. Now there's been allusions to this in the press over the last week. Um, we're gonna find out more about it from Namcios out of Bitcoin Magazine. Financial services firm Block, previously known as Square, is officially engaged in creating a new open source Bitcoin mining system, CEO Jack Dorsey announced Thursday on Twitter referencing a more detailed thread on the project's objectives by the company's general manager for hardware, Thomas Templeton. Quote, we want to make mining more distributed and efficient in every way, from buying to setup to maintenance to mining, Templeton wrote. We're interested because mining goes far beyond creating new Bitcoin. We see it as a long-term need for a future that is fully decentralized and permissionless, end quote. Templeton said the project is interested in joining performance and open source architecture in an elegant system integration. The company is on the lookout for technologies and partnerships that could empower the idea, which is being incubated within Block's, uh, Block's hardware team. A dedicated team of engineers is being allocated to the task, led by Afshin Rezaei, and open roles include electrical engineers, software and analog designers, ASIC engineers, and layout engineers. Block's Bitcoin mining system seeks to enhance three aspects of Bitcoin mining, availability, reliability, as well as performance. The goal is to make mining rigs easier to find and purchase while also ensuring a consistent delivery experience, enhance reliability by building something better at dissipating heat and dust, and increase performance while ensuring low power consumption and a quieter experience. Templeton said the team began by speaking with the Bitcoin mining community to learn more about their experience, pain points, and overall needs in the hope to highlight possible areas of work for Block. The job also included evaluating the existing machines and system software offerings. Block has not provided a timeline for when its Bitcoin mining system will be available for purchase and usage as the company focuses on the research stage of product development. Templeton also asked the community to reach out in case of any questions or feedback that could help the project. So it's confirmed now 
Jack Jack's block is getting into Bitcoin mining. What I really need is for Jack to reinvent a Twitter type experience social media platform. And I've said it, I, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going against what I said before. I don't, we honestly, we kind of don't need a platform, but if anybody was going to do another platform that's going to have any kind of name recognition, it's gonna be Jack. And why is this shit important? Well, when you depend on one or possibly two platforms to develop your network of people and everybody needs a large network of people. You should always be working to expand your network of people because with your network expansion comes potential opportunities. Now, those opportunities basically dissipate when you get clobbered and deleted off of a platform like I did off of Twitter. And I, as I watch my network dissipate because I'm just, I'm taking my time to get back on the platform. I, I'm thinking that I'll be able to come back and not get X'd off again because I'm going to have to keep my mouth clean and not yell at, at journalists for being the people that honestly need to be first up against the wall when the revolution comes. But be that as it may, I'm still losing my network connections. And that's that's not cool, man. I had 67,000 or 67,000, no, 6,700 followers but my most prized possession in my network was my Bitcoin list and, you know, and the people that I followed. Most of the time, the people that I followed were part of my Bitcoin list. But the point is that that's where I got all my news. And now I'm relegated to the sewers of social media, such as Gitter. And I like Mastodon. I really do. But because of its non-usage, it's kind of the sewer of social media. Now, it seems that John Carvalho and his company Synonym have a good shot as part of their mission, not all of their mission. Most of their mission is something else, but it, it seems to me that Synonym would be able to have an application in social media and somehow or another tie all this stuff together. Now, I don't think John is actually thinking the way that I'm thinking. I think that John's, uh, the way that he's doing synonym is more about identity and, and cross, maybe cross-platform identification of those identities. What I would like to see is the ability for one single graphic user interface to tie all of your social media platforms together in one package. So that if I send something out through LinkedIn, I have a choice as to prop as to whether or not I propagate that throughout all my social media, just a couple of other social medias, and vice versa. Essentially, a giant IFTTT or the whole if this then that, because I don't need another platform. We have so many platforms already that the landscape of all network building is completely fractured into separate walled gardens and they don't talk to each other very well. There's not a whole lot of bridging. What I'd like to see is a GUI that is the essential bridge platform from all social media to all other social media. I don't know how to do that. I can't program my way out of a wet paper bag with holes in it. Even if it was doused in gas and set on fire, I wouldn't be able to get out of that wet paper bag with holes in it. I suck that much at programming. 
but somebody else doesn't. Somebody else is really good at being able to say, well, yes, it's a lot of API calls, but we can do it. We can do this. And we need to get this done. And I see John Carvalho's synonym as a way to correctly identify the user in a way that makes it makes authorization between platforms possible via a third party. That's all I'm going to say about that. We've got better fish to fry like Battle of the Bots. WTF token launch drains 58 Ethereum. Joseph Hall has it for Cointelegraph. Fees.wtf is a simple service that shows Ethereum users their lifetime spending amount on Ethereum blockchain transactions by measuring gas. You plug in your wallet address on its website and it tells you how much gas you spent. The project released its WTF token in an airdrop on Friday. Essentially, users were able to claim WTF tokens as well as a wrecked non-fungible token for 0.01 Ethereum. The wrecked NFT grants lifetime access to the pro version of fees.wtf. According to its Discord announcement, the initial launch planned to offer 100 million WTF and the circulating supply will be the main attraction of the tokenomics. However, it didn't quite go as planned. <clears throat> Following frantic trading behavior between bots in the opening hours of the airdrop, one bot ran off with a reported 58 Ethereum or $180,000. According to Etherscan, a 58 Ethereum was drained from the wrapped ETH or WETH and WTF liquidity pools. Social media channels were quick to respond because many airdrop participants lamented losing $1,000 in ETH. The WTF team chimed in two hours after the airdrop to claim, or rather, calm the ranks. Quote, immediately on launch, there was only a tiny bit of liquidity and there were ape bots, ape, A-P-E, like, you know, bored apes. Anyway, there were ape bots that were chucking in hundreds of ETH into a pool with an ETH or two of liquidity. They also had high slippage and ended up being sandwiched by the other bots, which essentially drained all of their ETH, end quote. Basically, within five minutes of the token launch, poor liquidity pool management from the WTF developers left the liquidity pool exposed. As there was low liquidity, bots were able to manipulate the price of WTF and then sell it for WETH. The bots battled it out until one winner took home the pot. In effect, the bots stole from users who provided liquidity to the pool, trying to claim their WTF tokens and wrecked NFT. The victor managed to send an ultra-fast transaction at 3,000 GUI, making a 6x return on their initial investment. The WTF team sent out another Discord update two hours after the airdrop, stating, quote, the core contracts are all fine. This was a war on Uniswap. We hope no one was affected by it, the team said. However, it has become a common occurrence in airdrops of late. Many users lost a lot of money. The price graph of the token since launch paints a thousand words. The initial spike shows the bot activity swiftly followed by a 10x loss in value. And indeed, there is a chart here that basically is mostly in the red with a little bit of green right at the front, whatever. 
The official WTF Discord group is brimming with users sharing stories of losing money. Some are shaking with rage while death threats and lawsuit claims are rife. One EtherScan transaction points to one user losing 42 ETH or $135,000 for 0.00004417 WTF, effectively one penny. As daylight dawns on the project, some Twitter users have called out the project as a Ponzi scheme. The referral element to the project is spurious. Refers to the WTF project claim 50% on fees to make WTF go viral, while the WTF team earns 4% from every transfer. In total, the WTF team claimed almost half a million United States dollars in token transfer fees in a little over eight hours. Twitter user Lefteris Karapsas didn't mince his words. He says, and Lefteris, this is a tweet, the proceeds from the token transfer fees are sitting in their contract ready to be siphoned to the team slash DAO or whatever they call it next day, uh, these days. Six, was it 6,168,000 WTF valued at $476 gathered in the eight hours since launch. The WTF project states merely that the supply of tokens is deflationary and that 40 million WTF tokens will go into its treasury. There's not a great deal of detail regarding the token distribution. Twitter user meows.eth concluded their Twitter thread with a Zen approach to the controversial project launch. Quote, if you were fortunate enough to claim a big amount of WTF and cash it out for a profit, be happy. Unless you're attempting to bot the initial liquidity, don't FOMO in to buying a newly launched altcoin with high slippage. People are still falling for this shit, people. And it's just going to continue. They're going to, airdrops are going to come and they're going to come and they're going to come and it's going to get worse and worse and worse until there's airdrop peak. And then we will see some other instrument of scam nation come into the fore. Be prepared for it. It's coming. Make sure you tell your friends to stay away from this bullshit. Indian INX exchange reportedly plans to list a Bitcoin futures ETF. Oh, joy. This is, by the way, from Helen Parts, Cointelegraph. Despite the ongoing uncertainty about cryptocurrency regulation in India, local financial firms are backing new ventures aiming at, to launch a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund. Taurus Kling Blockchain, a joint venture between Cosmia Financial Holding, a financial firm backed by former Reliance Capital CEO Sam Ghosh, and Kling Trading India is preparing to launch Bitcoin and Shitcoin One futures in India, the Economic Times reported on Thursday. The company has signed a memorandum of understanding with India's major stock exchange, the India International Exchange, or INX, to launch crypto ETFs alongside investment products tracking major metaverse-related companies listed in the United States. According to the report, Taurus Kling Blockchain is planning to set up the ETFs in Gujarat International Finance Tech City, or rather otherwise known as Gift City. By the end of the current fiscal year in India or by the end of March 2022, 
The ETFs are subject to approval by India's International Finance Services Authority and other regulators. India INX CEO, no way I can pronounce this name, said that the stock exchange and gift IFSC are looking at exploring the launch of digital asset-based products and has already applied with the IFSCA under regulatory sandbox. Quote, this is part of our product innovation initiative to benchmark offerings with other international financial centers. We will be launching products in these new age assets in compliance with the prevailing laws after receiving all required post-regulatory approvals, the executive noted. So India, even though they're flip-flopping and have been flip-flopping for four years minimum, if not five, uh, looks like they may be getting a Bitcoin futures ETF. I'm not holding my breath. I don't think this is actually going to pass because India's parliament is just so wishy-washy on what the hell Bitcoin even is, much less if people can own it, that I don't, I just don't think it's going to grab any traction. But if it did, oh joy, one more way to keep a damper on the price of Bitcoin, because apparently that's all futures ETFs do, do to any asset class. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. It's Friday. Weekend's coming up. For those of us in the United States, unless you're in Arizona, it's Martin Luther King Day on Monday, so it's a three-day weekend. Um, let's go ahead and do a joke. What do you call a typo on a headstone? A grave mistake. Yes, indeedy. Yes, indeedy. Uh, if you want to help the show, as always, podcasting 2.0 is the best way to do that. It teaches you what's going on in the future of value to value exchange for people that create content to the users and listeners of that content. Um, it, it, I think it's a good idea to learn how to use it. So Fountain app on iOS, and I, I don't know if it's on Android or not. Um, the Sphinx chat app was, I believe the very first uh, app that allowed a big or not a, that allowed a podcasting player to be embedded inside of basically the chat app along with a lightning wallet so that you can stream Satoshis to your favorite podcaster while you listen to what, what it is that they have to say. I think it's essential moving forward, especially in the next five years, that you learn what Podcasting 2.0 is because it's going to be everywhere. And it's not going to just be about podcasting. It's going to be about watching videos, streaming movies, streaming music, streaming pretty much anything. And my favorite, streaming the right to be able to use a very large and very expensive software package. One of the examples that I always use is SideFX Houdini's. Uh, it's a 3D animation pa and modeling package and it does a, a lot more. It's, it's a, a simulator, it's a particle thing. It, it does. If you've seen a movie in the last six months, you've seen the work of Houdini, I guarantee it. But also another one that I like to use is ArcGIS, a geographic information system. Also a very expensive package. 
I would love, because I don't use it all the time, but I would love to be able to make maps that make sense of a certain amount of data, because that's what a GIS does in a visual representation. I would love to be able to use that and pay for it only as I'm using it. I don't want to pay $15,000 or however much it costs for something that I might use, you know, eight or nine times a year. I'm not a GIS professional. You know, I don't work at a GIS company. So how do we get around that? Well, you install, you basically install in your software package licensure that reads the Lightning Network, has a wallet, and as long as I'm streaming you Satoshis, you're streaming me valid license tokens for that software. And when I close it down or I stop using it, and like all of a sudden there's no mouse or key, keyboard movements for like 10 seconds, the streaming stops. And I can sit there and I can look at the map and I can study it. But when I start doing stuff again, the tokens start streaming to me because I start streaming sats. If you don't think that this is gonna happen, you're wrong. I'm just saying, you're, you're, you're wrong. This is going to happen and it's going to be pervasive. And the best way to get a handle on it is to learn how podcasting 2.0 works under the hood because the exact same mechanisms are going to be used everywhere. Also, if you want, you can go to my Patreon, Bitcoin and podcast. Uh, my strike address is strike.me forward slash none your business, all one word. And uh, one of these days I may be back on Twitter. Who knows? I already have a, a, a new phone number from Google Voice. We'll see if that works. Uh, if I come back, I would appreciate a follow and, uh, uh, and retweets of, of my tweets if and when I actually appear as Ghost of Nunya, which may be the name. I don't know. Somebody's probably already taken it. I'll figure something out. And when I do, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.